Dr. Foster, thank you for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate it. We're just going to get right into it. Uh, can we start with why did you want to specialize in podiatry? That's a good question. And I do get asked that from time to time. Um, actually, when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to be able to take a class called Health Careers. I knew I wanted to do something in medicine, but really had no idea what it was. Um, and it was during that time that I actually spent some time with a podiatrist, never heard of podiatry before. And, um, you know, that opened my eyes to that. The reason I liked it is because, first of all, the variety was there. You weren't set with always treating kids or always treating elderly. You had everybody because everybody's got feet. So you got a huge range. So that was really nice. The other thing I liked about it was the fact that you're really, you're not always at the hospital and you're not always in clinic. You know, sometimes you get in the hospital and you get in this hospital rut and it's kind of frustrating or you're in clinic and you're just like, oh, I kind of feel like you're doing the same thing. But, you know, to be able to have that surgical side where you're in the, in the operating room and doing work there, but then you also have the clinic side and you're, you're doing both of them. And that really appealed to me too. So that's what kind of got me interested. And, and those are still things I love about it now. So, so are all podiatrists surgeons as well? Not all. Um, podiatry's kind of come through, a a little bit of a, it, it's been changing over time, but most back when I was coming through, there was a lot of non-surgical residencies and non-surgical programs. And then there's a lot of surgical side and surgical programs. And it, it's become more of that. I would say the majority of podiatrists coming out are going through surgical residencies, but there are some phenomenal doctors that don't do any surgery, but are very good, you know, for example, skin where they're looking at all this derm pathology that's on the foot and, you know, do a lot better job at it than I do, honestly, because that's all they do all the time. Mm. So not all of them, but it's, it's becoming the norm now. What are the common things that you're treating when you see patients? Um, it, you know, really could be anything, but, um, you know, we see a lot of the normal things that you would think like athlete's foot and ingrown nails and things like that, which, you know, people splinters, wounds on the foot, things like that, foot fractures, stress fractures, those are common. And then, uh, we see a lot of flat foot type things, um, that that's a fairly common thing, but then, you know, there, another thing a lot of people are familiar with, like bunions and hammer toes and kind of foot and ankle orthopedic issues that, that we treat a lot. And then and some of the things that a lot of people don't really think about are the diabetic side. So mm. diabetic injuries and wounds and, you know, things that go along with other disease states like that, because there's a lot of pathology in that that, you know, Thankfully, most of us don't think about because if our feet are fine, we're good. But if you know anybody that's dealt with it, you you know how compl complex that can be. I have so many questions. I, I'm so fascinated with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the first is, how do uh, bunions, um, how do they come about? Um, they come about, it's, it's, it's really biomechanical when your foot blazes to a certain point, you know, your foot 
pronates or rolls in, the mobility of the what we call the first ray has a lot to do with, you know, how the foot functions. But a lot of it has to do with, you know, the shoes that we're wearing because we have we have a foot that maybe would be more prone to um, to getting a bunion, I guess. But if you put it in a shoe that's more snug or narrow or something, you're going to see that progressing a lot faster. Um, it's interesting that they've done a lot of, there's some people that are doing studies and going back and looking at different types of populations, like, um, you know, people that live on islands that have never worn shoes. Um, and they don't, have there's very few bunion deformities but their feet are very wide because the foot just splays but the whole foot splays together instead of constricting it to a shoe where the foot's trying to splay but you're trying to hold the toes in a certain you know position so there's a lot still to be kind of discovered i think as people do more of these more of this research but um it really it really comes down to the foot type that you're you know, born with, mm-hmm. you know, and usually you can see, you know, if somebody has a bunion, a parent or grandparent's going to have one too. And certain foot types are just more prone to having that. And you already kind of answered my next question, which was if somebody basically lived most of their life without shoes, mm-hmm. like in kind of the um, village situation, are they going to, are you going to see more, less bunions in that particular group of people? And you're saying that the study said, you're going to see less. Right. Yeah. You're going to see less bunions. You might see other issues, but definitely the bunion type deformities are going to be much less prevalent from the things I've read and people that I've talked to that have really looked at that. So you mentioned flat feet, Mm -hmm. something you're born with. Um, yes and no, because some people are born with a flat foot. It's their, their arch just doesn't develop very well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons you can have a flexible flat foot, which is great because there are some fairly simple ways. I say simple. It's a very simple, what I consider a minor or minimally invasive surgical approach that you can stabilize that. Um, But some people have a rigid foot where the bones are fused. So that becomes much more complex. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people that don't have a flat foot, but because of maybe a tendon rupture or slow tendon damage or, you know, a lot of pounding on the foot over years, the foot will start to flatten out more over time. So you can have both ends. You can have a flat foot that's developmental and you can have one that you're born with. So let's say you're born with Mm -hmm. a flat foot. Yeah. What would be the best next steps to make sure that doesn't turn into something really bad? There's, there's, kind of two approaches to it. And, and I think you have to consider kind of what your goals are because the first approach, the non-surgical approach would be um, to use an insole or support of some type. So you're using a shoe with an arch support in it. And as you're growing, you're trying to keep that foot nice and stable in that position, which theoretically is great. But from a practical standpoint, you know, nobody keeps their shoes on all the time. Mm -hmm. So an orthotic is only as good as when you wear it. And so you can wear it 50% of the time and then take it out. Your foot's just going to roll back down. Um, And if you did wear it 
every single day for five years and then took it off, most likely your foot's still going to settle down. It hasn't really necessarily fixed anything. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, the opposite end of that was fairly major surgery where you're doing what we call osteotomies, making cuts in bones and tra- tra- transferring tendons and so mm-hmm. forth, which is never something you want to do, especially, I shouldn't say never, but if it was me, I wouldn't want it done to me. And and with your child, you're looking at all the potential complications. There's actually a procedure called a hyprocure, which I'm a huge fan of because it's a minimally invasive approach. It takes a like a two centimeter incision where you can just slide a little stent or a stabilizer underneath the talus between what's called the talus and calcaneus. There's a little natural space in there, but it's basically like a little space or a stent and you just slide it in and you can get phenomenal results with that. And there's no drilling or sawing or anything. And the recovery, especially in kids is really quick and you can fix a lot of flat feet that way. What's the recovery time on that? As far as, with most kids, they're back in a, in a tennis shoe within two weeks, but I tell them no jumping or running or activity for six weeks because we mm. want to make sure the soft tissues grow around it and and uh, it's nice and stable. And then once it is, you can do whatever you want at that point. So can you do this with adults too? You can do it with adults. Um, it, it, you have to, there are various companies that make similar type products, but um, the reason I like the Hypercure specifically is because of the shape and it works well in adults as, you know, too. kids are the ones that are do a lot better with it. There's a lot of people that say, oh, that's a great procedure for kids, but not for adults. But if you have the right device, it works great in adults. I mean, I do it in adults all the time. Um they traditionally take a little bit longer mm-hmm. to heal just because their foot's, you know, it's been used to functioning a certain way right. for so long and you have to get used to that again. But still with them, usually, you know, four to six weeks and they're doing pretty good. Sometimes when they're older than that, it takes a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. it's a great procedure in adults. Did you hear that long? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have our videographer. Uh, I always kind of tease him because he has flat feet, but mm. I, I have the opposite. I have oh. really high arches. Yeah. So going to the opposite, yeah, um, can that cause problems having really high arches? It can. Um, and, and just like, you know, every foot type, different foot types are more prone to certain types of things, but that doesn't mean you're going to get them, you know, mm. because a lot of people, I mean, I have people with flat feet and their feet look horrendous, but they don't hurt them at all. So is that a problem? I guess not. If it doesn't bother <laughs> you, um, higher arch feet are a little trickier because they're harder to control in some ways, because, mm. you know, if you have a flat foot, you can build something up underneath it and help stabilize it. But when it's really high, you can't, you know, take it down or anything without surgery. Mm. So, you know, it's a little bit more challenging at the same time. Um, you know, most of the problems with people with high arch foot are going to be more what we call lateral columns. So on the outside of your foot, because the, the foot tends to lean out a little mm-hmm, more. Mm-hmm. So the fifth metatarsal lateral areas, the perineal tendons that insert on that side, those are going to be more the pathologies that typically we see there. 
some people with certain higher arch foot will have more hammer toes because the toes will kind of contract back. But, um, but usually it's lateral column stuff with higher arch foot. Why is it important that people make their feet a priority, especially just keeping them healthy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really because you do everything with them. You know, you can't, you know, if your arm hurts, you've got another arm and you can kind of hold that one in a sling for a little bit and get by, but you can't really, you know, it's not practical to just hop around on one foot. You you really can't do that. And everything Mm. you do, you know, is so reliant on your feet. And so, and you know, you get, you, you know, you get that little tiny pebble in your shoe and you take, you know, it feels like a boulder and take it out until mm-hmm. you take it out. And it's just this little thing, but it causes so much discomfort. And when your feet are hurting, you know, you just, it's really hard to function. So, and it's just like everything else with your health. I mean, when you're young, you think, oh, everything's great. And you don't think about your heart or eating right or doing anything like that. But then when you're older and you have all these problems, you say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that it's really the same with your feet. You, you want to take care of them now. So when you are older and you want to keep doing things, mm-hmm. you haven't, you know, neglected something or damaged something. So what would be a, some examples of good practices to get into or habits maybe with keeping your feet healthy? I think really, first of all, just looking at them, most people <laughs> don't even look, you know, they're like, I don't, you know, and, you know, just washing them, drying them, taking care of them. And then just wearing a good, you know, some type of supportive foot gear. And and again, it depends on what you're doing because, you know, most of us are on, you know, concrete and hard surfaces Mm. and those type of things where, you know, if you are outside or you're working on, you know, you know, you're running around in the grass and stuff, you know, your feet don't need the same support as you do when you're, you know, on concrete and hard, which you know, every surface that we have nowadays is that way. So I think really just being aware and watching and looking at them is the biggest thing because most (laughs) people don't even do that. And then, you know, it's kind of one of those things that people like to ignore, Oh, that little sore, it's not that big of a deal. And then, you know, it's wait until it becomes, you know, an infection. And that's when they're like, Oh, now I need to do something about it. Or, you know, noticing their foot's changing, and maybe it's flattening out a little bit more, but, you know, it doesn't hurt that bad. So let's wait till it gets really bad. Well, then it's kind of too late. You could have gotten maybe in a, a supportive insole orthotic and just settled it down and then not let it progress. Hmm. So are shoes bad for feet or would you say, um, yeah, so what do you, th- what do you think? Is it better to be barefoot or is it better to be with shoes? I on? think it, I think that depends. It, there's there's really two schools of thought on that. And and a a lot of it is what are you doing with them and what are you trying to do? Because I mean, certainly if you have been functioning a certain way and something starts to hurt, the only way to change that is with shoe gear and support of some type. But again, you know, you go to these Islanders that are out, you know, in the mud and grass and, you know, not on hard surfaces, they probably don't need something supportive. Um, But people that are, you know, working in, you know, urban America that are on it, they're, they're going to want something um, more supportive. And it's important. Um, A lot of it is kind of what your foot is trained to do also, because 
if you are always barefoot and you're always doing that, that's your foot's used to that. It, it's okay. But what happens with a lot of us is we're like, we're on concrete and doing all this stuff all the time. And then we're like, oh, now I'm going to take my shoes off and do all this stuff. Well, your foot's not used to that. And to jump back and forth, that's where you're going to get a lot of pathology or you know, people want to use, you know, wear heels, women, they wear heels all day long, and then they take them off and want to do all this activity on the weekend with not very much support. And so when you're, you're pushing your foot from extremes, that's when it's going to run into trouble. So, and there's a lot of runners that, you know, have more of this kind of like barefoot running mentality where they wear a very minimalist type shoe. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah. And, and they do fine. But you wouldn't have somebody that's been running in supportive shoes forever, you know, say, oh, I'm going to switch and become a barefoot runner or a minimalist shoe runner and run a marathon. They're going to have stress fractures mm-hmm. and all kind of stuff. So you do have to let your foot adjust and, and, and you know, you train it to function in that way. And some people can do very well at it. But some people, their foot type just won't allow them to do that. So, you know, some people try to do it and they just can't make that adjustment. And you just, you know, that's the way your foot is and you got to deal with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many students that come in and they either struggle with balance. And honestly, a lot of times they'll jam their toe on our mats when they're mm. practicing martial arts bare feet, yeah. barefoot. Yeah. And I've always thought it's just because they're not used to it not used to being barefoot yeah. and those muscles are just not um, conditioned right. to be gripping down on the mats. Cause we don't, we're on softer mats. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to have your toes ready to grip down for that balance. Yeah. And, and I would agree because your foot gets used to functioning a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if it's on a firm surface in a shoe all the time, and then you go to a different surface, it takes an adjustment and it, and there's a proprioceptive, part of that too that this sensation that your feet and your toes feel is going to be different and your brain is trying to respond to that too and you know when you're doing a different activity on a different surface all of a sudden it is different hmm. so are there any uh, recent advancements maybe in the last 10 years in the world of feet that are like really revolutionary that there's all, I mean, there's always something new from a kind of a surgical standpoint, mm-hmm. but I think the, the biggest research that I'm aware of is mostly in the wound market because there's a lot of wounds, mostly diabetic wounds that are very difficult to heal. And the, you know, insurances and government spend a lot of money trying to heal these wounds. And so you know, you're going to see more research in that because, you know, people are trying to save money and save feet. And so there's a lot of skin substitutes and skin graft type materials and things like that. So I think those are probably the ones that are kind of coming out, you know, all the time. Everything else is, or a lot of the other stuff is, you know, hardware and screws and plates and different techniques that are that are better or stronger or slimmer or, you know, things that just would make, you know, the, the post-op period better or, you know, less pain or 
cosmetically better for the patient. So how common, common is plantar fasciitis? It's, it's just there. I mean, it's everywhere. People have it all the time. I think there's some, you know, there's a little bit, sometimes it's almost assumed though, that it's there because people say, Oh, I have pain on the bottom of my foot. It must be plantar fasciitis. Mm. And it's not always, there are a lot of different, you know, there's a nerves down there. So you can have nerve type pathology. And sometimes people think it's plantar fasciitis, but it's actually a tear in the plantar fascial band, which is different. There's intrinsic muscles down there that are in the same location, but, but the general, what people think of as plantar fasciitis, it's just super common. And it's, I mean, I mean, it comes into the office daily mm. and, you know, everybody's heard of it cause it's just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember going through it. Uh-huh. It was horrible yeah. and I couldn't do it. I, I, I'm trying to stay active. So uh-huh. I just had to stay off of it, I guess. Yeah. And I, yeah. do you just like, what is your, um, advice usually to kind of for self care on that? Yeah. The, the best thing is to try to, you know, back off. You're trying to let the tissue heal. So you have to do something differently to let it calm down. You can't just keep jumping or running or walking or doing whatever you're doing and expect it suddenly to get better. Mm -hmm. You know, if your shoulder hurts, you're not going to use it as much or you're going to put it in a sling. You're going to do something. So you can't just keep walking on your foot or doing the same activity and anticipate that it's going to get better. Um, There are You know, so so my advice is back off on activity, do whatever you can to reduce inflammation and over the counter anti-inflammatories. Ice is good. Keep it loose, a stretching and then usually a good shoe with a good support in it, because, again, that's your only like brace. That's the only way Mm. you're changing the biomechanics of your foot. And even if you had to do it you know, temporarily for a handful of weeks or months until it calmed down, then, um, you know, then it's, you know, then you can kind of slowly go back to what you were doing before for some people. Now for some, they really realize, Hey, I need that support all the time or just going to flare back up again. Mm-hmm. But speaking of, you know, technology and advancements, there's, there are a couple different treatments. There's laser treatment that we have nowadays that's great because there's no pills or shots or anything, and the laser techniques will real, work really well. And there's also something called e- EPAT, which is like it's a sound wave. There's a pulse technology. It's a pulse wave that creates a little microtrauma to the tissue and mm-hmm. stimulates a healing response. So those are both really good techniques that can be used without you know, the typical injections and medication and all that. Hmm. How many years of uh, schooling after high school did you have to go through to get to? Yeah, too many. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did. uh, So I did undergrad and then I did four years of medical school. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there are various residency Mm -hmm. programs. I did two years of residency um, with a one emphasis on kind of medical and one emphasis more on surgical training you can do there's one there used to be a lot of kind of one-year programs two-year programs three-year programs the most of the programs nowadays are three-year programs but um but you know when i was doing it you know things were 
things were different. It's been a few years ago, but yeah, two. So I guess six years. It was six years after undergrad. So yeah, ten years of um, school and residency. Yeah. So after ten years, you were out practicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you get through that? Um, I don't know. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I look back and I think, I don't know, could I do that all over again? Right. Cause it's, it is hard. I mean, it's just, it's just go, go, go. And you, you don't sleep a lot and you're just, you know, you feel like you're cramming as much in as your brain as you can. And then the next day you just got to keep doing it again. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's a lot of sleepless times and so forth, but I mean, you know, God sustains you and you don't think that you can keep going. And, um, you know, there's people in your life that encourage you and you get kind of worn out. But, uh, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty persistent person anyway. So it take a lot to, to tell me I'm not going to do something once my mind's made up, I'm going to mm. keep going. So, um, but, but again, you know, God made me that way. And I guess he makes us all different. And, but it's, it's that kind of drive that, you know, I said, Hey, once I, once I committed to doing it, I'm going to do it. Have you always been like that since you were younger? Um, I think for the most part, you know, my mom would probably tell you I was stubborn, which is kind of the same type (laughs) of thing. But, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I've once I commit and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it everything I got. Mm. Uh, it it might take me a little bit to get there. You know, I didn't just come out of school and go, OK, this is what I want to do. I was familiar with it in high school, but I, I knew what the commitment was going to be. And it took me a while to decide that, OK, I'm ready to really make this commitment. And so, you know, I had some other kind of little paths along the way. But once I decided this is it, then then I was in. Wow. Were there any times that you wanted to stop and maybe quit and think, well, why am I doing this? This is just too much. Um, There were times where I thought, I hope that this is the right choice, mostly Mm -hmm. because of the time and the money involved. I mean, it's not cheap to go to these schools and there's time and you're like, well, if I would do something else, I could be making money right now. Mm -hmm, I could, mm -hmm. you know, be, you know, putting that money aside. And instead I'm spending twice as what most of my friends are making right now. And then I won't start, you know, earning an income until this much later in life. And so, those things go through your head. And I had a couple, you know, friends of mine in school after the second year were like, okay, we're done. We're going to. In med school? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that was also the time that a lot of things in healthcare started to change as far as, you know, reimbursement and insurance and all this stuff. And they had friends that, or family members that were in medicine and were saying, Hey, this isn't what it used to be think twice, three times before you really want to do it. And some of them said, okay, you know, I'm done. Um, but, um, but again, that's where I was like, Hey, I'm in, I'm doing it. So Mm, good for you. Yeah. So, uh, would, would you mind sharing? When did you come to your faith in Christ? Um, actually it, when I was just a little kid, um, my, uh, I was, probably five or six, just really young. We used to have uh, devotions at home as a kid. And 
Um, we would get together as a family. It was nightly. It was just, I didn't know any better. You know, that's just what we did. And, um, you know, and, and I did grow up in church. And so, you know, I had heard, you know, I, I didn't know anything different. Um, but when I was, you know, I remember exactly where I was and it was right after family devotions. And my dad had talked to us about, you know, salvation and what that meant and, you know, that, you know, what the result of sin is and going to hell. And, you know, as a kid, you know, it, you know, it, it puts light on just the, uh, you know, the, just what God says about, you know, a child can understand it. And I understood, I didn't understand it in the same way I do now, but <laughs> the simplicity of, you're a sinner. This is the result of sin. And this is what God's given you. And this is, you know, Jesus died on the cross for you and the gift is heaven and salvation. And I was like, Hey, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> and so I prayed with my dad that night and, and, and I've never questioned it since then, which is really amazing mm. thinking back on it. Um, but um so so yeah that's that's what it was for me um it's interesting though because there's a lot you know it, there's a lot that goes along with that because when you have grown up outside of the church or that hasn't been the way you grew up i think that when god calls you out of that and and you you he does save you from that you realize more what he's really saved you from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you're a kid and you don't know any different, you have to kind of grow into what, you know, you have to understand really what God really has saved you from, um, which, you know, that was more of my kind of development was, you know, I, I didn't know any different, which I think two things. One is a testament to, how important it is to show your kids and teach your kids when they're young, because that's what God, you know, that's what the Bible tells us to do. <laughs> but I had parents that modeled it, you know, it wasn't like, um, you know, out, you know, we'd go to church and they would be a certain way and then we'd come home and they were different people. It was the same all the time. And so I think that's another reason why I had no reason to question it because I saw my parents living it all mm. the time. But when I, it was as I grew that I had to start developing, what did that mean to me? Because it's easy when you grow up that way and you're in that environment all the time and your parents are constantly, you know, guiding and teaching. But there's a point when you have to defend that yourself and you have to people ask you questions and, you know, you get out into the world and people say, well, you know, what about this? Or you can do that. Or did you ever take philosophy in college? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, you missed out on that one. <laughs> but, uh, but it was really, you know, you know, I went to public high school and so forth. So I, you know, I, I was in, you know, I saw everything that was going on Man. and all that, but it, but I really, it was really in college when I really 
kind of was probably just because one, I was on my own, but people would invite me to do things. And, and even some people would invite me to kind of these religious group type things. And then I started having to say, well, what is it? Not only was it, what is it that I really believe, but why? Cause I mm-hmm. knew I, I'd never questioned my salvation ever from the time, you know, it, it which I'm so thankful for that I never struggled with that, but I had to defend it and I had to really understand it. And that's, even though I, I knew a lot of Bible verses, that was the first time that I was like, I want to read the Bible. I want to read it. And I started making notes and writing things down because when people would ask me something, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to figure out, you know, what's the answer to this? What does the Bible say to this? And that it was, that was the time that I really, it went from a childlike belief to, uh, you know, I'm really going to live this as an adult. Mm. This was during college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you're one out of a million because it usually goes the opposite <laughs> way in college. <laughs> it, it, and I, I'm so thankful for that really. But, um, but you're right. You're right. It, it I see it a lot. Um, but, but again, I feel like there's, I really feel like it has to do with, you know, the environment that you grow up in, because I, I think that's where a lot of the, the doubt or questions or experimenting or whatever happens, because mm-hmm. there's, if there's a lot of, you know, kind of going back and forth in the home, then you say, well, maybe I need to try something else or look at something else. But when it's been modeled for you your whole life and you're Mm. like, you know, uh, it it was just real. It was real because I'd seen my parents go through struggles and watch how they handled it and saw what they did. And then to be able to say, I I know this is real. Um, and, And God did things throughout my life that, you know, I just, Think back. I mean, it, it seems silly, but the very first time I can remember in my life just saying, God has to be real, is I was a little kid. I was playing outside. My mom gave me like some piece of candy, a sucker or something, mm-hmm. which we hardly got. You know, it was like a big deal to get it. <laughs> So I was like, I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to hold on to it and because I wanted to save it because it was huge. And somehow it fell out of my pocket or something. I didn't know what happened. I'm out playing in the backyard, and it was devastating to me. So I come inside, and I'm crying, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, the sucker, you know. And, and my mom at that time said, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'll get you another one or anything like that. She was like, you know what? Let's pray and ask God if he wants you to find it, it's he's going to find it. If not, then it's going to be okay. We don't have any more, but, you know, and my mom prayed with me and I walked outside and that thing was sitting right at the bottom of the slide that I had looked at forever. And I still to this day go, you know, it just solidified and so there's little things like that, that, you know, probably throughout your whole life, throughout my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, you know, I can look at multiple things where, 
I mean, I was, there was one time, this was in college too. This was in college, I think. Um, but anyway, um, I came out of, I, I was late to work, had no money. My gas was like completely empty. Mm. So I was like, I'm praying I get to work because, you know, obviously I didn't want to miss work. And then if I ran out of gas on the way, so I get to work and I'm like, okay, at least I made it, but how am I going to get home? I walk outside and literally blowing across the parking lot are $2. And this was back when gas was a buck something. And there's a gas station right across the street. So I, you know, I got whatever, a gallon and a half worth of gas or whatever I could get, you know, and a couple bucks worth of gas and got home. So there, it's just little things like that where God's always pointing and saying, I got you taken care of. I might not give you, you know, everything, but I'm always going to sustain what you need. So throughout my life, lots of little things. Mm -hmm. And it really shows, or at least the way I see it is, you know, when people are expecting miracles, of course, miracles happen, but Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them just look like what you described. It's not some magical, mystical thing that happened where, you know, fire appears out of nowhere. Right. I mean, that does happen in the Bible, but today yeah. I think it looks a little different. Yeah. And it's more, how is God working within the laws of our mm-hmm. planet right? and, and our yeah. living? <laughs> yeah. Well, and even if you think about, you know, going back to medicine, you know, what we take for granted in a lot of ways is a miracle mm-hmm. because, I mean, even when I do surgery... If I go in and I cut a bone and I put a screw in it to hold it, that's not the end of it. Over time, that bone heals and we just expect it to do that. But if you look at the physiology and what's going on in that, to have something that was completely in two pieces and within, you know, eight weeks is just as strong and healed as it was before to me, that's a miracle. That's amazing. I mean, it just, but, but it's so commonplace that we're just like, oh, that's normal. But it's, it's really amazing. Would you say you're a rarity as a doctor who believes in God and is a man of faith? Um, I don't know. I think so because I don't know a lot of other ones there, there, they're out there. Um, and, you know, there's there's some really good guys. I mean, I know an orthopedic surgeon that's a phenomenal Christian guy. Mm. Um, so so we're out there, but it's not it's definitely not the norm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, obviously you learn a lot mm-hmm. about the human body and how things work. And I mean, you gather so much knowledge and um, just a skill set that is so incredible. You'd think, well, I mean, there's two sides of this, right? Mm-hmm. It's I know so much, thus there isn't a God. Right. But why is it not instead, I know so much, and the fact that all of this happens on its own, doesn't that point to a creator? You would you would think <laughs> so. Um, in fact, I had a I had an anatomy teacher, uh, one of the instructors in anatomy that, um, you know, that's when you're, you know, cutting everything open and looking in mm-hmm, there and mm-hmm. learning where things are and what have you. And, 
And, and I, I remember this because obviously it was not a Christian school that I went to and I didn't really know much of his background, but he's holding the heart in his hand and he's, you know, pointing, this is where the blood goes and going through and talking about all the vows. And he said, I don't know how you can study something not like this and not believe that there's a God. Yes. And, and you're yes. it's exactly what you're saying, because if you really look at the intricacies and see how it all functions, you're, it can't be any other way. But, you know, when you're told your whole life that it's evolution and this happened and it's just, you know, this developed this and this, you know, and then you've got the people that are like, well, if there was God and he developed it, then you wouldn't have all these problems and, you know, all this stuff that is mm. completely illogical, but you cannot, you cannot look at the human body. I don't think with logic in your mind and say, there has to be some, even if you don't know what God it mm. is, but some creator that created it, there is, you know, for, for people, in medicine to believe in evolution. I don't even understand how that can mm. happen, but I've met a lot of them. I feel like most of them think <laughs> yeah. that, but so even like going back to the heart, yeah. how does it start beating? Where does that come from? Like, where does that energy come from? And then second is how does it continue to beat on its own? That to yeah. me is just incredible. It, I can't even comprehend that. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't comprehend even just the development of it. I mean, just thinking of, you know, two cells that start forming, and then, you know, this one's going to form a finger, and this is going to form a heart, and this one's going to make a kidney, and you know, the whole thing is just. It's beyond comprehension. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it has to have code mm -hmm. uh, in that cell, right? To tell it what to do next. It's just like here are the instructions. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Right, and 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 you and I know that it had to come from God. Uh -huh. But you know, it, you know how you believe otherwise. I I don't know because it it had to begin. You know, somebody had to tell it what to do, and. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, we don't have anything else in our world. You know, there's never, you know, a pile of sticks that turns into a house by itself. There's, you know, nothing happens without somebody doing something. Somebody has to create it or take the pieces and put them together. And so to think that a human body that is far beyond anything that we can even, you know, look at people just trying to build a robot, you know, mm -hmm. and years and years and years. And finally they get one that can, you know, walk on its own. And now we can get it to do that. And, and even with the artificial intelligence, it still can't, you know, really truly reason or, you know, have compassion or any of that stuff. And, and they've been developing for years. So I don't know. Mm. I don't know how you think otherwise. I mean, many people will say, well, you look at the um you know chimpanzee mm. and look at the dna or code there and it's 99 point mm -hmm. whatever eight percent the yeah. same yeah what would you say to that i would say that even more to me is saying 
look what 1% difference can do, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if 1% DNA can make such a drastic difference, right. it, I mean, that even more says, you know, somebody amazing did this. Because they, they, they look at that tiny little percentage, it's mm -hmm. like a no big deal, like, yeah. eh, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. it's actually a really big it's deal. It's a really big deal. Because in it, there's things like um, being able to use logic mm -hmm. and reason on your own. Right. And right. be able to create things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is. I mean, just those little tiny things that, you know, yeah, that 1% that makes a completely different being, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you look at, you know, the, what they call evolutionary novelties when you look at one species and how it's, you know, its DNA is just a little different than this one, but they're hugely different creatures. And it, it really kind of goes that way, kind of all the way throughout, you know, just, you know, living things and how they're created. And, you know, there's so many similarities, so many differences and just, it's, it's, it's beyond an understanding when you really try to think about it. You know, you can't even wrap your head around it. Mm. So you mentioned the Bible earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you feel like that is such an important book to study and read? If you believe what God says, you have to use it to guide your life because there's so many things that are bombarding you from the outside. And it's it has to be your focus because once you get your focus off of that you can go down multiple paths i mean you can get burnout out and run down and um you know you can go that way or you can start getting a big ego oh look what i did i helped this person i did that and 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 you have to keep going back to saying you know this is really 100% God, he's done this all. He sustained me here. He's done this. And it really just has to be the focus to keep you going in life. And you look around, I look at around at, you know, people that are going through things and struggling through things. And, and honestly, I can tell you, I don't know what I would do without it. Mm. I, if, if I, it, it when you've gone through a lot of things in life and God's put me through multiple trials that, you know, I wish I didn't have to go through, but I get why people, you know, are suicidal and get frustrated and, you know, their marriages end and all that. I, I, I get it, but God pulls you through. He sustains you through all of those things. If you just, rely on him mm. but you can't do that you know if you're not in his word if you're not reading and if you're not in you know going to church if you're not letting that be what you know your focus is on it's so easy to get sidetracked on everything else because i think there are i mean it's pretty common with christians just to maybe go to church here and there mm. not really read the bible yeah and yeah. then maybe try to listen to God somehow. Right. Right. But I mean, I don't know how yeah, it, effective that is. Yeah. It, it's not because that's the difference between, I mean, it, the difference between 
believing something to be true and believing in something, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a good way Mm -hmm. to say it, but you know, when you, um, you know, think about it, if you, if you really love movies, you're going to go to movies all the time. I love it. You know, if you, you know, you like to fish, you're going to be fishing all the time. But if you say, I love God and then, yeah, I'll do this here and there. Mm. It, it, it can't be true. So, but you have to, you, you have to say, if this is true, I want to read my Bible. I want to go where other Christians are. I want to go to church. And it's not easy to do mm-hmm. that because, you know, it's easy to just be like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. Or let me sleep in on Sunday morning. But, but I think in some ways, you um when life is hard you look forward to that i mean i enjoy going to church because i want to hear what god has to say it's Mm -hmm. like uh it's like that refueling moment you know and you know i just have a i just have a habit i read a verse every morning that's first thing when i wake up i just do it and i had to make myself do that because you know, you start doing things and you start living life and you're studying and or you're going to school and then you're working and you have kids and then pretty soon you come home and you're tired. And, you know, I had to say, this is it. I mean, God just, you know, I would I would get in a habit of I grab something to eat, cereal, whatever it is, and then go off to work. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I'm sure it was after church one day, I was like, you know what? I just said, before I eat that cereal, before I do anything, this is it. I'm going to do this. And it really makes a difference in how your focus is then throughout the whole day. And, 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 and going to church and having a good sermon that really it's nice to have a nice sermon that, you know, you're like, oh, this is really nice, but I want something that's going to look in my heart and say, you got to fix that. Mm. Because to me, that's growing, you know, when you're, when really God gets, you know, to that point when, when, when he exposes something to you that says, Hey, work on that or fix that, or you could do better than that. You know, you can do better at that. And then not just to leave you like that, like you got to get get better, but, you know, I'm here to help you improve, get better, change that, look at your focus differently or whatever it is. Isn't that usually rooted in the word? For sure. Because yeah. if the sermon's based on the word, mm-hmm. then usually the word exposes our heart right, and the things that maybe we need to personally work yeah, on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you're a rugby player. I did. Yeah. I played rugby. Uh, I love it. It's a a phenomenal game. You still do it now? No. (laughs) If somebody asked me to play, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But, um, but yeah, I did. I was fortunate enough to, um, I played football all through high school. Very, I I just loved sports. I would play anything because to me, Growing up, that's the only reason to go to school is PE yeah. and recess. I yeah, mean, right what, else, you. what else is there? Nothing, you know, nothing. So says the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I, and I, you know, that was it. So I played football. I mean, I played flag football when I was a little kid, yep. and football through high school, and I did all that. And then I finally got out, and I was like, I got to do something. 
And uh, a friend of mine, we uh, I went to KU, and a friend of mine said, "Hey, there's a rugby club here, and let's go." You know, and so I was like, "Okay, I don't even know what rugby is, but let's go." So um, it was kind of a little later because most of the guys that were playing already, they would start kind of, you know, in the summer a little bit and what have you. So um, by the time we got there, you know, school had already started. We were like, well, let's figure out where our classes are and what we're supposed to do. You know, we were, you know, new to college life and all that. And so I was like, I need to figure out where I'm going. But anyway, we went to a practice and literally I had gone to one practice and there was games that weekend. And so they had an A team and a B team. And they were like, you know, you can play on the B side this week. And I was like, I don't even have a clue what I'm doing. And uh, they said, this is the only thing you need to know. If you have the ball, run that way as fast as you can. And if somebody else has the ball, tackle them. Other than that, you'll learn the rest. Don't worry about Without it. pads. Without pads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So you, how many injuries have you sustained from playing that sport? Um, thankfully, I broke my nose. Um, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I did have a knee injury that mm-hmm. took me out for a little bit. But thankfully, relatively few while I did that. That's a so, miracle in itself it right is. there. That is. That is. <laughs> so you said you're in the word every morning. Uh, to kind of get your day started. Is there anything else that's really helped you through those times of going to school and staying disciplined? And I would say your commitment level is just so high. When you when you commit to something, you're mm-hmm. all the way in. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. What would you? Yeah. What would you? Uh, any advice with them on how to overcome quitting too early or uh, just wanting to strengthen that self discipline? First of all, I would say find people around you that you can go over that with because you want to make a decision. Sometimes we just make a decision. We're like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, then you're like, oh, that was kind of stupid. And then you're struggling with it. But if you have a thought or an idea and you're like, hey, I'm thinking about this, whether it's a family member, a pastor, a friend, somebody get counsel on that direction because you know, like I said, I didn't just wake up one day and go, okay, I'm going to medical school. This is it. You know, I, you know, that, you know, I talked to my parents about it and I talked to other people about it and I was like, okay, you know, what do you guys think about Mm. this? And, um, you know, so it's, I think if you have input from other people that you trust, that, you know, are going to guide you right, that, that really have your best interest in mind that really Mm. care about you that helps because then when you've talked that through and you've made that decision and then when you're struggling you can go back and say hey i'm really struggling and then they can go hey remember what we talked about you know when this first started and those are usually the people that are encouraging you along the way you know sending you a message or text and say, I'm praying for you today or mm. no, you got a big test or whatever it is. But I think if you can have some people around you that care about you and, and it can just be one person, but if you have that, I think it helps you stay focused when, when you want to kind of get off track and, and, and it's an accountability too. Yeah. Yeah. So basically having uh 
people you trust around you who's going to hold you accountable because mm-hmm. we can't do it ourselves oh, and nor did God create us like that. Right. Yeah. Right. We, sure. we were created to uh, yeah. have fellowship with others, right. especially right. those who are strong in their faith as well. Right. And yeah. just leaning on them. Cause I mean, I know for, for me personally, I, I, my emotions go up and down every single day and mm. there's times I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe my wife is like, <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife's phenomenal. I mean, she and I have, you know, the the whole, you know, our business, we do it together. And wow, she, I didn't know that. Yeah, she um, um, she and I, it's a huge long story, but we started the business together um, kind of out of necessity. And we, I had been working for a company, a group, and there were some things that, you know, some decisions that were not necessarily the way I felt like they should go. And and I had to make a decision. Do I feel like I should go along with that or not? And I mm-hmm. talked to my wife and said, hey, you know, basically I came home one day and said, um, I don't think I'm going to have a job anymore because this is what is happening and I don't feel right about it. And God opened some doors and, um, and uh, there was a little space that we subleased from another doctor and my wife had, you know, was in retail management for, you know, when she, that was her career. And, um, you know, once we had kids, she kind of put that on hold, but this was when our kids were still young and she was like, let's do it. And so she came in and started managing and I was doing the, you know, the, I'm doing the doctor side and she's doing the organization and all the other stuff. And, and, uh, when we started out, it was just the two of us. And how, how long have you been married? That's a good question. I Maybe I shouldn't have asked you that on well, a public you gotta, podcast. Um, it's okay. We got married in 1997. So how many years? 30? I don't know. 26 something like that got a calculator over 20 yeah over 20 that's that's actually i think yeah because 25 was last year good for you guys that's that's really impressive yeah so if somebody uh is listening to this and they really want an amazing doctor like yourself to uh, check out their feet or their flat feet (laughs) how can they get a hold of you well they can call the office it's 816-246-4222 and our website is just my name joelfosterdpm.com excellent i really appreciate you coming on uh this has been very enjoyable for me and thank you very much sir hey i appreciate it thanks for having me